and welcome to another MLEX podcast. My name's James Paniki. I'm MLEX's Australasian Managing Editor, and I'm coming to you from our offices in Melbourne, Australia. Great to have your company. Now, there's nothing we like more here at MLEX than an old-school cartel lawsuit, and the Bluescope Steel court action announced in Australia at the end of August ticks or checks many of our antitrust boxes. The Australian Competition and Consumer Commission, or ACCC, is alleging that Bluescope and a former high-ranking manager, Jason Ellis, attempted to induce steel distributors in Australia, as well as overseas manufacturers, into a price-fixing agreement for flat steel products. So the allegations are that there was an attempt to set up a cartel rather than an actual cartel. Then, to complicate matters further, Ellis was hit with a criminal charge, that of obstructing the course of justice. This may be common in the US, but it's the first time an obstruction charge has been laid against an individual as part of an antitrust lawsuit in Australia. Laurel Henning is a senior MLEX correspondent based in Sydney, and she's been following the Bluescope case for us, adding some interesting reporting to recent developments. Hello, Laurel. Hi, James. Let's get to the obstruction charges in just a moment, but first let's talk about the antitrust lawsuit. What is Bluescope and what is the ACCC alleging? So Bluescope is a major manufacturer in Australia of flat steel products. Now for those of us less familiar, flat steel products include slabs, hot rolled coil, cold rolled coil, coated steel products, tin plate and heavy plate. Bit of a bit of a mouthful there. All products that our colleagues reporting on trade policy around the world have written about extensively. And Bluescope's products are used in construction and manufacturing, and the company has joint ventures with both Nippon Steel and Tata. The ACCC is alleging that between September 2013 and June 2014, Bluescope and Ellis attempted to induce various steel distributors in Australia and overseas manufacturers to enter into agreements containing a price-fixing provision. The companies Bluescope is alleged to have approached include Taiwan's Shangchen Steel and India's JSW Steel in an attempt to ramp up profits in steel sales worth up to 2.8 billion Australian dollars or 1.9 billion US dollars today. With the charges levelled against Ellis, there is both a domestic as well as an international dimension to this case. Which is what makes it so uh, so interesting because of this international dimension. And as I mentioned in the intro, uh, it's a civil lawsuit. But when, when making mm-hmm. the, the announcement in August, the ACCC gave clues that suggested that it had considered asking federal prosecutors to bring criminal charges against the company, but ultimately it backed away from that, right? That's right. So almost two months ago now, when the court action relating to the alleged cartel conduct was brought against both Ellis and the company, the ACCC said that it had worked closely with the country's federal prosecutor, the Commonwealth Director of Public Prosecutions, or CDPP, and the ACCC added that the CDPP's consideration of the matter was, at that point, ongoing. Court documents published last month showed that the ACCC brought civil antitrust claims against Bluescope before the CDPP had made a decision on a criminal prosecution because the regulator feared it might lose its chance to pursue the company as a result of a statute of limitations. And that's because these allegations date back as far as 2013. So the clock was ticking and the ACCC decided to act. And obviously didn't have time for uh, to, to wait around for the federal prosecutors to decide what they were going to do with it. 
Absolutely. Uh, and in fact, I was in court in Melbourne as the ACCC attempted unsuccessfully to prevent documents relating to its civil lawsuit being published by the media. Now, the regulator's fear there was that if the civil lawsuit were to be reported widely, which it since has been, uh, that that might compromise uh, a prosecutor's ability to find an impartial jury in the future in the case of a criminal prosecution. Now, obviously, we were... Yeah, and we, but we were thinking that the criminal prosecution that they had in mind was, was going to be a cartel prosecution, although now looking back, obviously, the ACCC may have known that there was this obstruction of justice issue in the works, and so they were probably focused on that rather than anything else. But anyway, the first hearing on the civil lawsuit is scheduled in the Federal Court of Australia, probably in Melbourne, and we'll see how that pans out. But the real showstopper for those uh, like us following the case was the announcement earlier this month that Ellis would be facing a criminal obstruction charge. What is this charge and why is it unusual in the Australian context? Absolutely. So Jason Ellis, as we've mentioned, is a former general manager of sales and marketing at Blue Scope Steel. And he's been charged with two counts of, and I quote, inciting the obstruction of a Commonwealth official in relation to an ACCC investigation, end of quote. Those charges carry a maximum penalty of two years imprisonment per offence. So we're looking at up to four years behind bars for Ellis if he's convicted. The charges were laid by Australia's federal prosecutor, we've already said that, the CDPP, which is the body that can lay criminal charges based on the investigations carried out by the ACCC. But despite the fact that the laws under which Ellis is being charged date back to 1995, this is actually the first time anyone's been charged with inciting obstruction of a Commonwealth official in relation to an ACCC investigation. So with that in mind, this case sets a precedent. And so just to recap, we have two parallel cases underway. We've got a civil lawsuit in the Federal Court of Australia brought by the ACCC. Uh, and a criminal prosecution for obstruction brought against Ellis by the CDPP, and that will kick off in a state-based local court in Sydney. Now, the question for us, I suppose, is how might the latter affect the former? Well, the desired effect of obstruction charges could be to make Ellis a more cooperative witness in the cartel hearings, but it's worth noting here that the hearings are taking place very close to one another, and in fact... The first cartel hearing happens before Ellis's first obstruction hearing. So the first cartel hearing is happening in the federal court on November 1st, and then Ellis will take the stand in the local court over his criminal charges four days later on the 5th of November. So in, in other words, if the ACCC is trying to use this as leverage, the timing might not be right for them to do that. Sure, or it might um, work out that he's more useful in the cartel case, but further down the track. So after his case is playing out a bit further or we don't know what discussions are happening already behind closed doors perhaps even so yes or indeed it could end up in the federal court much further down the track indeed so yes that, that would make sense yes laurel you created some mischief last week by looking at how abstraction charges are used in competition cases in the united states to see if there are any lessons to be learned here in australia well what did you discover i mean how does this work differently in the us and indeed what could australian prosecutors and regulators learn from the Americans. We've um, heard a bit before, James, about how the ACCC likes to work closely with its international counterparts, whether that's just through um, learning of how other competition authorities might work, or um, even in some sort of international cartels, you might see some 
sharing of information. Um, at the end of last week, I had an interview with Lisa Phelan, the former head of the US Department of Justice's Criminal Antitrust Enforcement Unit, and now partner at law firm Morrison Forster. Phelan told me that the cartel case we're seeing in Australia would in fact be classed as a fraud case in the US because it centers on an attempt to organize price fixing over a certain period rather than actual price fixing. So it's not being alleged in this case that price fixing took place. We should um, probably make note of that. And having said that, Phelan said that the obstruction charges are used frequently in the US and even relied upon quite heavily when it comes to cartel cases. Um, she told me that many cartel investigations are obstructed. People burn papers, they chuck laptops in rivers, they bury hard drives in their backyards. Uh, all examples that I was given from, I think, cases that she'd actually seen. Uh, so it's important, she said, to have a measure that discourages that sort of behaviour. Um, and that perhaps in Australia, we're seeing the results here of employees thinking that if no one speaks, no one gets in trouble. Yeah, boy. I mean, if I could have a dollar for every time I've thrown a <laughs> laptop in a river. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, but, but seriously, what's the, what's, the, what's the counterfactual here? I mean, if US regulators and prosecutors didn't have these obstruction charges to bring, uh, what challenges might they face or what limitations might they face? Well, probably increased pollute, increasingly polluted waterways. But um, <laughs> <laughs> Phelan told me that generally speaking, without obstruction charges, it would be much harder to bring cartel cases at all. And that's because, as I've said, people hide evidence, sometimes in quite extreme ways. And she mentioned to me that the fear of obstruction charges is sometimes enough to stop people from obstructing investigations. It's an important tool in building a cartel case, she says. Phelan likened obstruction charges to a sort of lever that regulators can hold over the head of executives. And while that's a bit of a morbid image, it is a powerful one for how useful these charges can be and just how serious they are. Um, Phelan said she hoped Australian regulators see the value in the use of obstruction charges, despite the extra time and resources that she was well aware they require. And I'd say that of all the regulators we look at, the ACCC is probably the best resource to do something like this, though Chairman Rod Sims, I'm sure, would never turn down more resources. <laughs> well, that's right. And, and also there's an art to that in the sense that when the ACCC is directed to launch an inquiry by government, then it gets the additional resources to do that. So I think the trick for them is to get... Uh, to have the government commission an inquiry that they've already been planning to launch themselves and that way they get the extra resources. The, the Italian expression is, it is the woman who chooses the man that will choose her. And I think, this, <laughs> I think that somehow relates to this. But look, um, as for the state of play in Australia, do you uh, think that we're likely to see more of these cases in the future? Perhaps. I mean, first of all, thanks for the Italian idiom, because I feel like if we don't have one in one of these podcasts, we're, just, right. we're really missing out. Um, it depends a little, I would say, on how this case, the case of Ellis's case rather than Blue Scope's case in the federal court, but Ellis's case, the criminal case, um, goes. I think the use of obstruction charges is something we could see more of. We might see them used where the ACCC is struggling to bring a criminal cartel case rather than a civil proceeding, um, and that's struggling perhaps because of individuals obstructing evidence. Also, Ellis is, for our international listeners, well-known in Australian business. He's from an equally well-known family in the local business community. His father, um, Jerry Ellis, was the chairman of BHP in the late 90s. And Jason Ellis himself had campaigned 
in 2015 against Asian steelmakers dumping products in Australia and distorting prices. So to now be caught up in this case, which covers a time period just before that anti-dumping campaign, it covers the period 2013-2014, it raises some interesting questions. Yes, it it certainly does. Laurel, um, great talking as always and plenty of work ahead of us. It looks like the cartel case will be in Melbourne, which is obviously my uh, bailiwick, and the obstruction prosecution will be in Sydney, so that will be your responsibility. Either way, there's still a long way to go, so thank you, as always, for chatting to me. Thanks, James. Always a pleasure. Laurel Henning is a senior reporter with MNEX. She's based in Sydney, and the article she wrote about her interview with Lisa Phelan is available at our website, mnexmarketinsight.com. You can make your way to the article and other podcasts via the Insight Centre tab. That's mlexmarketinsight, all one word, dot com. I'm James Panicki, MLEX's Australasian Managing Editor. Thank you very much for making it all the way to the end credits of the podcast. I usually bail out a few seconds before this point. I hope to catch you again very, very soon. Bye for now. Listener.